0: The following message was presented during the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry's 2017 Prophecy Conference season. Now, here's Tom Simcox with a message from Daniel chapter 8, verses 1 through 27, Daniel's disturbing dream. Let's look at uh, Daniel chapter 8, shall we? You ever find yourself with this kind of a crossroad? Somewhere between lost, confused, unsure, perplexed, bewildered. Remember that old song, Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered? Sometimes I feel that way. And I think there's a lot of other people that would, that would join me. They, uh, they would find themselves in that kind of a situation where they're just totally confused. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. Your questions seem to outnumber your answers. Uh, a gentleman who worked for Friends of Israel years ago used to have a uh, sign that hung on his door. It said, just when I got all the answers to the questions, they went and changed the questions. Sometimes I feel that way. Especially when I saw the questions that y'all submitted. Uh, I was thinking about taking a sabbatical. It just seems like sometimes that uh, life is just really difficult to kind of figure out what to do, what's happening, where to go. And I think Daniel, I think Daniel understood that. Notice at the end of chapter seven these words this is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel. My thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. And skip over to verse 27 of chapter 8. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. Afterward, I arose and went about the king's business. I was astounded by the vision, but no one understood it. You see, Daniel was greatly troubled. He's seeing all these visions, and you've got questions, and, and hopefully we'll we'll come up with something that will will suffice as an answer. But Daniel didn't understand what he was seeing. Daniel didn't understand what God was revealing to him. And there were times when it really bothered him. He was troubled. He was astonished. He was bothered. You know, uh, friends of Israel, often I'm referred to as the hymn guy. Uh, Early articles, I used a lot of hymns. But as I thought about this and as I contemplated this, I couldn't help but remember that old Stuart Hamlin song. Farther along, we'll know all about it. Farther along, we'll understand why. Cheer up, my brother my sister. Live in the sunshine. We'll understand it all by and by. And I can tell you that Daniel, as, as time moved on, he may not have understood it in this side of glory, but when he got to heaven, he understood it. And as we move through, and as things become clearer and clearer, and even as we move prophetically along in God's timetable, we don't know all the answers. We don't have all the answers, and the questions change from year to year. There were times we did prophecy conferences and no one would have ever heard about ISIS because ISIS was an unknown. But now ISIS is big. The bottom line is we'll understand it all by and by. We need to just trust in the Lord. We need to live in the light of his word and we'll get it. Now as we come to chapter 8, we have another vision that Daniel's going to have. Notice chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 1 with the setting. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, now this is the same king that we were introduced to previously that was the last king of Babylon. This is the king that was in the throne room and the handwriting was on the wall. Okay, this is him, but we're going back in time. This is after that in the chapters, but it's actually before it in historical event. This is the third year. Of the reign of King Belshazzar. And a vision appeared to me, to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me the first time. Uh, That's the previous chapter, chapter 7. He says, And I saw in the vision, and it so happened while I was looking, that I was in Sushan or Susa, the citadel, which literally means the fortified palace, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision that I was by the river Ulai. Now, very interesting, this particular place, Sushan, Susa, isn't so popular right now. But by the time we get to the book of Esther, by the time we get to the book of Nehemiah, this place is going to be very prominent because this is key in the book of Esther. This is where Xerxes was. This is also key in the book of Nehemiah. This is where Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. It's Sushan, or Susa, the citadel. He goes on, he says, and I lifted up my eyes and saw, and there standing beside the river was a ram, which had two horns. So we're going to move on. We got the sight. We'll put the rams up there, let you see a little artist picture. He says, I saw a ram, which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other. And the higher one came up last. And I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, and southward so that no beast could withstand him, nor was there any that could deliver from his hand. But he did according to his will and became great. And as I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west across the surface of the whole earth, notice, without touching the ground. I want you to picture this. Bible is a very visual book. So many times we read it and we're just reading the words, but I want you to kind of picture this. Here we see by this, this, this river, he sees this, this ram. And we all know a ram is a male sheep, and it's got the, the curved horns. They're high, notable, but one is higher than the other. And the ram is basically able to do whatever it wants. It's pushing north, south, west. It has complete dominion. And all of a sudden, coming from the west, moving at breakneck speed. This is kind of like the old cartoon, The Roadrunner. He's moving so fast, his feet are not touching the ground. That's the image. And this goat with this notable horn is heading dead on, straight, right for the ram. Okay? Very, very visible. And he says, he moved without touching the ground. The goat had a notable horn between his eyes. And then he came to the ram that had the two horns, which I had seen standing beside the river. And he ran at him with furious power. I mean, he is booking it. This, this, this. This ram is really about to meet... This is like unmoving force meets unyielding object. Okay, he's just really Adam, And he's coming with breakneck, furious power and speed. And I saw him confronting the ram. He was moved with rage against him, attacked the ram, broke his two horns. There was no power in the ram to withstand him. But he cast him down to the ground and he trampled him. And there was no one who could deliver the ram from his hand. See, again, very visual... This is a conflict these animals are representing obviously nations. The goat with a notable horn fast moving, obviously furiously angry, coming straight at the ram just hitting him dead on. The ram doesn't stand a chance. The horns are broken. Horns are usually a symbol of power. The horns are broken. The ram is literally trampled to the ground. The goat just totally overwhelms this 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 ram to the point that there's no one who can deliver, no one who can save. The ram is gone. He's dead. And then it says, Therefore, the male goat, verse 8, grew very great. But when he became strong, the large horn was broken. And in place of it, four notable ones came up towards the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them, out of one of the four, now remember, we have a, we have a goat with one horn. You can see a little kind of picture up there. That horn's going to be broken. Four. Other notable horns are going to come up. And from one of those four, there's going to come another horn. Lots of horns, lots of animals. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land. This little horn is going to go towards the south. That's probably representative of Egypt. The glorious land, I think we should understand who that is. It's the land of Israel. We move on here, and it says that it... It grew up towards the host of heaven. It cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground. It trampled them. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host. And by him, the daily sacrifices were taken away and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Because of transgression or rebellion, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices, and he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. Then I heard a holy one, verse 13, speaking. And another holy one said to that certain one who was speaking, how long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices? In other words, whatever's happening here, it's going to involve the temple. It's going to involve the sacrificial system that's going on at the temple. How long will the sacrifices at the temple in Israel be interrupted, be be stopped? And he goes on here and he says... The transgression of the, the he goes on, he says, how long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression or rebellion of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, for 2,300 days, the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Now it happened, and we want to, I'll come back to this, but I want to move on because I want to kind of keep this in order. We have the goat, the large horn's broken off, the broken horn is replaced by four horns, and a little horn comes from, one of the four, okay now, as we move on, Gabriel arrives verse fifteen. Now it happened when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning now, i don 't know about you, but I, I would think if I saw this i 'd want to know okay what 's going on here? Who are the players? We got a goat, we got horns We got, we got a ram, we got more horns we, we got a goat attacking a ram. the ram's taken out. The horn's broken off, four more, another one's come. Okay, I want to know what's going on. He says, I wanted to, to, seeking the meeting, and suddenly there stood before me one having an appearance of a man. And I heard, verse 16, a man's voice between the banks of the Ulai, who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So it came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. Now, as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep with my face on the ground. What I need you to understand is what, when he saw all this between the vision, between the, 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 the man talking and Gabriel appearing, I believe he passed out. I, I believe he fell down, face ground, down to the ground. Okay? Daniel did not have it an easy job as a prophet he really had it tough and you know so many of the servants of the most high god that you read about in the bible didn't have it easy did they in fact when we signed on i don't remember ever signing a form where god promised us a bowl of cherries where god said we were going to have it easy in fact i read for so persecuted they the prophets who were before you okay so understand just because we believe in Jesus and I got that, now I belong to Jesus, Jesus belongs to me not for the years of time alone. That doesn't mean we're not going to have issues, problems, trials, struggles. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be, you know, pie and roses. Daniel was struggling. He, he, was, he was just drained, and we're going to see as we go on it. It really doesn't improve. He's on the ground, passed out. Look, I'm here to make known to you what shall befall in the latter time of the indignation. For the appointed time, the end shall be. The ram which you saw having the two horns, they are the kings of Media and Persia. So if you want to identify the ram, the ram is going to be Media Persia. And if you remember, we had the two horns on the ram, but one was higher than the other. Persia, which came up last, was stronger than Media, which came up first. So that's why there's the two horns, and it was an Medo-Persian Empire. Media was first, Persia came afterward, but Persia actually took dominance over Media, so it really is identified as the Persian Empire. Okay? So we've identified who the ram is. And then we see verse 21, and the male goat is the kingdom of Greece. If you remember the image of Daniel's dream, you remember that that Nebuchadnezzar had the dream and he saw the the head of gold, you, O king, are the head of gold, Babylon, which was followed by Media Persia, which was followed then by Greece, which was followed by Rome, which will then be seen with the iron and the toes and the clay mixed, the final phase of the Roman Empire, okay? So we're going from, we've already covered the first empire. We're now looking at a vision that has to do with the second and moving into the third before the second has even come on the scene yet. This is during the third year of the reign of Belshazzar. Babylon is still in force. We already see that Media-Persia is going to be the ram. And then Daniel's revealed to him, that after Media Persia is gonna come one who is is gonna be Greece, which is the, the the goat with a notable horn. We're still here in Babylon, and he's already moved ahead, two empires. Okay? This is prophecy at the time when it was issued. We understand it now historically, but in Daniel's day, this was this was long-range. That's why I said in the latter days, in the in, in towards the end, because it was so many years in the future. The male goat is the kingdom of Greece. The large horn. That is, between its eyes is its first king. Obviously, that's Alexander the Great. And we know from history that Alexander the Great moved and conquered so quickly that, that, that legend says, tradition says, that he got to the Indus River and he sat down and he cried because there was nowhere else to go. He just blitzkrieged right through everything. He just moved so fast, so quickly, and conquered so much that there was, he said, nowhere else to go. He had it all. Verse 22, as for the broken horn and the four that stood up in its place, four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation, but not with its power, okay? So Gabriel explains, he arrives, he explains, okay, the ram, media Persia, the goat is Greece, and that notable horn is Alexander the Great. Alexander ruled from about 336 to about 323 B.C. The broken horn. He died after 14 years at the age of only 33, and he left no physical heir. So when the horn's broken, he died. The four horns that took the place of Alexander are the four kings, the four generals that were under his command that divided his empire up into four major areas. And we'll look at that in just a moment. Put this together, you should have this in your notes. You'll notice the four major areas, Macedonia was, was reigned by Antigonus first, and then Cassander. Asia, traditionally Asia Minor, which is modern Turkey, Lysmachus, Syria, Seleucus, Nicator, and Egypt was ruled by the Ptolemies. Uh, everyone here should know the Ptolemies because we've all heard of Cleopatra, and Cleopatra was the last of the Ptolemaic line, okay? So here we have the way, after Alexander died, after Alexander passed from the scene, his kingdom was divided up amongst these generals, Antigonus first, and then ultimately he was replaced by Cassander, Lysmachus, Seleucus, everybody here, I'm going to move on, we're going to see, we should also know Seleucus, because it was the Seleucid Empire that produced a guy by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, who led to the Jewish people celebrating a holiday called Hanukkah? Okay. So that gives you a little set of, of what's happening. This is the four horns that come from the one. This is the the, the ram, the goat, the whole thing. That's why by 21, we've got a handle on where we are. And he says, as for the broken horn, the four kings, the four that stood up in its place, four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation, but not with its power. Now you'll remember that there's also a little horn. But before I get to that, I thought you might like to see, this is the vision of Alexander's empire in about 303 BC. You can see by the colors where each of the generals ruled. The little horn is going to come from Seleucus. And Seleucus should be right over in this area here, if this works. Yeah, right over in this area here. Okay. This is the height of the Seleucid Empire at its its best, at its key point. That's the height of it, basically, uh, right after the death of uh, Seleucid Nicator. That was the height of its power. And you'll notice that it comes down as it comes down in the Mediterranean Sea, it has Israel and the land of Israel under its control. Okay? Thought you might like to see that handsome guy. That's Antiochus IV. He was the uh, fourth ruler of the of the line, and uh, he's also known as Antiochus Epiphanes, which meant the visible manifestation of God. The Jewish people called him Antiochus Epiphanes, the madman. Okay. He came on the scene. He's the little horn that's mentioned here in Daniel chapter 8. He's going to be the one, and we're going to see here what he does. In the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. This is Antiochus. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully, and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people, he's going to go after Israel. Now, what happened here, as we look at this, that um, the Bible tells us a little bit, but history fills in some of the blanks. Seleucus wasn't comfortable with just what he had, and so he began to meddle in the affairs of what was going on in the south, down in Egypt, in Ptolemy's area. And he went down there, tradition and history tell us that he went down there to conquer, to get involved in what was going there. He wanted to assert his power. And the, the, the account goes that Rome, who was beginning to flex their muscle at this time, came, drew a circle around him in the dirt and basically said, that's all of Egypt you get. Get out of here. He was mad. He was insulted. He was humiliated. And so on his way back, home, he went through the land of Israel, and he began to attack them, to force them to convert to Hellenization. He he desecrated the temple. This is the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. He sacrificed a female pig on the altar. He went into the Holy of Holies, and he set up an image of Zeus in the Holy of Holies. Of course, Zeus looked an awful lot like Antiochus. Remember Epiphanes, visible manifestation of God. He kind of thought God looked like him. He then sent out squads to go through Israel to force Jewish compliance with the new Hellenization directive. He came to a town called Modin. And there, as a priest was about to to do what they said, he was going to sacrifice an unclean animal, probably a female pig. Mattathias Maccabee got so incensed, so angry, he grabbed the javelin, not only killed the priest, he killed all the soldiers that were part of the detachment that had come to Modin, and this began the Hasmonean or the Maccabean revolt. Now, if you remember, we saw here that the sacrifice will be really held in abeyance here because of this delay. It said there's going to be 2,300 days and the sanctuary shall be cleansed. This is from the beginning of the Antiochus rebellion to the cleansing of the temple on the 25th of Kislev, about 175. So that's, that, that date, this period of time, is how long it took from the, the beginning when, when Antiochus started the abomination of desolation until the Jewish people threw him off. Okay? So that's what the interruption is. How long is the sacrifice going to be, um, going to be uh, denied until the sanctuary is cleansed? So we see here that this little horn of chapter 8 is not the same little horn we saw in Daniel chapter 7. The Daniel chapter 7 little horn is a picture of Antichrist, the pseudo-Messiah, the one who's going to come much later. But you see, one of the things I've learned about the Bible is God not only tells you what's going to happen, but oftentimes He sets up something so that you can understand what's going to happen in the long-range future by revealing something first. For example, He said in Matthew about the abomination of desolation. Well, you know what? If there hadn't been an abomination of desolation, the Jewish people wouldn't know what it was to look out for it. And so in chapter 8, we are told that there's going to be one who comes before the little horn of chapter 7, who's basically going to do the same kind of thing. He's going to do the same thing. Eight is clearly not seven, because eight is ultimately going to be thrown off. The Jewish people are going to, to get their sacrifices back. He tells them it's only going to be interrupted here for about uh, 2,300 days. And then the sacrifices will resume, which they did. You see, the little horn of chapter eight is a type of what Antichrist is ultimately going to be. And God does that a lot. He gives you the type so that you understand when when there's something else that's going to come, you can understand how it's going to unfold. It says here, through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his hand. He shall magnify himself in his heart. And clearly he did that. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human hand. You see, Whenever Satan gets involved, Satan wants to be God. Satan wants to replace God. You know, we go back to Genesis chapter 3, and we see God promising to send someone who's going to crush the head of the serpent. From that point on, as I read the Bible, I'm a big picture guy. When I, when I read the Bible, I see this big picture. I see a plan unfolding of Satan's desire to beat God, and God stopping him at every single point. Okay? And you just go through and you can see how Satan is trying. Look, let's go through some of the feasts. There there was a king in Egypt, and, and he was going to enslave the Jewish people. When that was over, the Jewish people got Passover, and the king ended up probably at the bottom of the Red Sea. Later on, we have another king. This one is going to to kill the Jewish people. His name was Haman. He's hung on a gallows, and the Jewish people are celebrating Horam. Then we come to this guy. Now, this guy was really different. The first one tried to enslave him. That wasn't going to work. The second one tried to kill them; That wasn't going to work. So this one was going to do something that was far more devious. He was going to assimilate the Jewish people. He was going to force them to break down their, their, their uniqueness. He was going to force them to worship his gods, to do things his way. And do you realize, if Hanukkah hadn't happened, there could not be a Christmas. You see, Jesus was born of the house and lineage of David in a town called Bethlehem. If the Jewish people were assimilated, if the Jewish people had lost their national identity and they were totally just just all amalgamated with with the, the Greek world and the Greek religion, they wouldn't know what tribe who was from. There wouldn't have been an ability to know that Mary and Joseph were of the house and lineage of David. And according to the census, they went to the city of David as they were going to be commanded. You see, I see all of these as attacks of Satan trying to stop Messiah from coming. That's, I, I read the Hebrew Scriptures and I just see it time and time again. There's so many places where, where Satan's goal is just to stop, and this is another one. If he could stop Messiah from coming, he would win. He tried to entrap them. He tried to to, to, to kill them. He tried to... to Forced them to assimilate. But God promised in Jeremiah 31 that the Jewish people would not be destroyed. That they will remain. And you see, it's important to keep that in mind. It's important to understand that when God makes a promise, God keeps his promises. You know, we're looking at the name El Elyon as we've been through this conference, that's really the one, that's the name of God that's really prominent through this book. If, if Elohim literally means the strong one who has the power to make a promise, and you, superly, you put that in the superlative, he's the strongest strong one. He's the God that not only has the power to make a promise, he has the power to back it up, the power to make it happen, and the power to overrule. That's the God we serve. That's the God of Israel. And that's the God that we love. The one who, who said, I will never leave you nor forsake. You can cast your care upon me because I care for you. I love the world so much I'm sending my one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish. You see, that's the God we love. And this is the God that is interacting here with Daniel. And he's showing him, look, this is what's going to happen. But it will, of course, fail. That's so important to keep in mind. Now, as we come to the end of this section... Notice verse 26. We, we've looked at 27, but I want to look at 26. And the vision of the evenings and the mornings, which was told is true. Therefore, seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. Daniel was told to seal it up. Not to keep it secret, but actually there's a sense here of the conclusion and pres- and, preserve- and presenting it, preserving it for the future, by sealing it up, it's not hidden, it's not locked away in, in some secure place. It's sealed up in the sense that God is preserving it, and he's making sure that it's secured there. So when that happens, they can look back at the text. You know, one of the places I was checking as I was working on this message, I have a Jewish study Bible that I that I had gotten, and, and I love to, to see what their notes say. They understand this the same way we do. They understood. They, they, they saw Antiochus, they, they saw Greece, they saw Alexander, they saw Media Persia, because god preserved it in their word now they're going to skew when it comes to some of the other areas especially when it comes to jesus but when they see the historical facts here they understand that what was happening here was an abomination of desolation that was spoken of as jesus revealed by daniel the prophet but there's one more fact that i think is very crucial here look at verse 27 and i daniel fainted and was sick for days Afterward, I rose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. You know, Daniel had God's word, and God's word didn't always make him feel good. In fact, he passed out. He got sick. He, he literally physically felt ill. You know, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but you know, prophecy is really important. And we, we love it, and that's one of the reasons why we teach it, and we stand on it, and, and I'm so grateful that you're here. But, you know, if I could really go out here on a limb a little bit and just share, prophecy really is only as good as we do something with it. And I, I kind of hit on this a little bit yesterday, but, you know, praise the Lord, we win, hallelujah, we're, we're going to heaven, Zygazunt, live and be well, that's great. But what about the people who aren't saved? What about the people who are not aware of all this? People are out there. I've been struggling all day with what's happening in Florida because there's so many people down there that don't know the Lord. There are people that are going to die. And they're going to die without Christ. And that breaks my heart. It breaks my heart because people are why we're here. We're here to make Christ known. That's why the church exists. It's not just for us. We're here to declare, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. And you see, the word of God bothered Daniel because he didn't understand it and he wrestled with it. Dear ones, do you wrestle with the word of God? Does the word of God sometimes bother you? You know, there's times I read passages and and I can start to cry. There's times I read it and it bothers me because I can picture someone facing we just went through revelation at my home church and and i'm reading about judgments of god and it breaks my heart because i think about people i know who don't know the lord being here and facing that and i don't want them here i want them in heaven with me i remember sharing with a friend of mine and saying you know i really love you and i care about you and and you know i've read the book and it doesn't look too good in the end but if you know jesus It looks real good. You see, Daniel was reacting because it bothered him. Dear one, the word of God sometimes just bothers us, or it should. It should break our hearts for the things that break the heart of God. I'm going to close with just a little song that we used to do years ago in my church. And I just want to encourage you to think about these words. We ended our service in my home church in New Jersey but this little chorus, I'm sure you all know, said, Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. Now, I changed the words here because I don't want to be noble about it. I just wanted to do it always. And may I always do my part. May I do whatever it takes to win that soul for thee. You see, when I see this and when I understand the cost, I can't help but do that. Amen. For more audio resources, including mp3 downloads of past prophecy conferences, visit us at foi.org.